You're listening to a People of Note podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. Good evening and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Cock. This program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8, and in it we talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And my guest in tonight's program is Gavin de Kock. He is in financial services, I think, Gavin, is that correct? Good evening. Good evening, Richard. It's a privilege and pleasure to be speaking to you on Classic FM. Are you in financial services? I am, indeed. And you trained for that. But actually, what we're talking about tonight is something rather different, which is the world of silence. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, how do you come to be talking about the world of silence and leadership through silence when, in fact, your work is in finance? I have always been drawn to practices of silence um, myself, and I've always admired people that have spoken about the huge effect that practices of silence have had in their lives. Even well-known and very famous people vouch for the benefits of the practice of silence. And this is silence in many different forms, in fact, because there's not only the absence of noise, but uh, a sort of conscious silence seeking also. Um, yes. Um, I, I think of silence, um, if I can use an analogy, um, one can think of silence as oxygen. We all need oxygen every day to breathe. Um, in fact, we need silence just as uh, urgently. We actually go and sleep every night, and our sleep is in silence. And without sleep, one can actually die. So the practice of silence, and I use that term generically to include all practices of silence, which includes meditation, yoga, prayer, um, allows one to enter into silence by whatever method. So we don't breathe exactly the same. So too do we use different methods to actually enter into silence. But where, how did you come into this, just a matter of interest? Because uh, obviously it's been a, something of interest to you during your life. And perhaps you, you came to a moment where you decided that silence was something you were more interested in. Let's, let's just dig back a bit in your life to see where you came from, in fact. Where, where do you come from? Um, Richard, I was born on a farm on a mountain surrounding the Palitzi Valley, close to Dovelskloof, uh, now named Mujajiskloof in the Limpopo province. My parents were farmers and I was the third of six children. I have one sister and four brothers. I attended primary school at Dovelskloof, and then my parents took a courageous decision to send me to attend the Pretoria High School for Art, Ballet and Music. But a, a house with six children was not a very silent house, I wouldn't think. <laughs> Luckily, we stayed on a mountain and we had a lot of space. So um, that was indeed wonderful. And it's a beautiful part of the world there. Uh, um, I go quite often to Mechubeskloof. And I'm just always blown away by the beauty of that area. And I think it's a sort of under-explored part of the country. There's beautiful nature there. And, of course, it's green and very high rainfall in the area as well. Yeah, yeah, because they're big forests. And now, of course, they're being turned over to avocado pears, a lot of them, because 
it seems that avocado pears have to grow above a certain um, altitude. And, and they, obviously that area is quite good because I go there quite often and I see large areas of what used to be pine forest now removed and avos planted in their place. But it's a, it's a very rich farming area too. Definitely. Because of the high rainfall, my father was also avocado farmer. Yeah, and tomatoes, I know, are big in that part of the world, and blueberries and all sorts of yeah. good things, all things that grow silently. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is an important uh, part of, of our lives, particularly as musicians, and we'll come on to that in due course. And let's listen to your first choice of music, uh, and then you can tell us why you chose it, which is Kol Nidre. This is Zvi Plesser and the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra. That was Kol Nidre by Max Bruch. And I suspect you chose that because, uh, did you play the cello yourself? I did. I, I remember playing this piece as a standard nine pupil. And to this day, I find it captivating in so many respects. So you studied music when you went to the Pretoria Art Ballet Music School. And you studied music there. Um, but that wasn't your, your chosen career. No, um, I matriculated with the normal academic subjects and I played the cello and piano final grade eight uh, level exams. Um, but I eventually chose to study law at the Rand Afrikaans University. And law uh, needs, well, I always think that law needs a lot of thought. So this also is a, a time for silence and reflection in the law because it's a, quite a complicated subject, and it needs a lot of thought behind it, and that needs uh, silence and reflection. But you've also moved into financial services, I think. Yes. Um, while I was um, studying at the Rand Afrikaans University, I worked as a judge's clerk for two years. Then I was appointed as a public prosecutor for two years, during which time I completed my LLB degree. I then completed two years law articles. I was admitted as, uh, to work as a lawyer for two years. Then I joined the financial services, first as a legal advisor for two years, during which time I became a certified financial planner. And for the past 22 years, I've been an advisory partner at Citadel, a financial services company. And have you found in your um, work life and possibly in your private life as well that um, silence or leadership through silence. I mean, it's an interesting concept of leadership through silence because uh, leaders often have to lead not only physically but verbally as well. People who are leaders are usually inspirers and they do that through not only actions but through their words as well. So, so in a way, it's a, a sort of... Um, a contrast between silence and sound of leading people. Yeah, I suppose, um, you know, the the leadership part comes into how wise do people lead these days? Um, you know, there are a number of world-class leaders that um, really are quite wise people and wise individuals. And it's an interesting phenomena that a lot of them do actually practice silence regularly. Thoughtful silence. 
Because I'm sure there are many different silences, and we talked about this briefly earlier. Um, silence can be just a sort of absence of thought because you can be silent but have a whole lot of thoughts and noise running through your head. And in fact, there's a wonderful piece by a South African composer called Does the Noise in My Head Bother You? Um, and almost, you know, you can see people sometimes sitting quietly, but you can see that their brains are moving very busily. And I guess uh, leaders have to think up strategies, and for that you need silence. Um, just, just talk us through that a bit, like the practice of silence. Is it something that you can practice? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's just interesting that uh, it, it appears if the view on silence, particularly in the West, um, is mostly regarded as strange, unattractive, and even forbidding. Uncomfortable um, sometimes. Definitely. Look at the words that are used to describe silence in, in everyday language. There's a deathly silence, a stony silence, an ominous silence, an uncomfortable silence, an awkward silence, even an oppressive silence, or a silence you can cut with a knife, an embarrassing silence. On the other hand, some traditions in the East refer to noble silence or golden silence. But as you quite rightly said, the, the, there's a big obstacle to silence, and that is noise. Obviously, noise is the antithesis or opposite of silence. And noise comes in various forms. As you know, we have five senses, and our attention is naturally, f uh, or our attention naturally follows what our senses find stimulating. I mean, there are various noises around us in a city or in a home. It's the TV, a radio, podcast, YouTube all the social media platforms, or the burden of too much work, or the trappings of having too much stuff. And if it is indeed possible to somehow extract oneself from all this outer sensory stimulation, and one does find a quiet place to sit in silence, and what can actually be easier than just sitting in silence and doing nothing? Well, it turns out not to be that easy, as one is then challenged with inner noise, thoughts, feelings, memories, emotions, they can all keep cropping up. But I discovered through research that all conscious leaders have the same battles overcoming noise than everyone else has, yet somehow they manage to persist and to find time to regularly be in silence. Let's listen to your next choice of music, which is the sound of silence. This is played on pan flutes. That was the Sound of Silence, played on pan flutes. It's a very complicated name of the pan flute group. It looks like Wauquikuna pan flutes. I presume they come from somewhere in the Pacific Ocean by the sound of it. Um, that's the choice of Gavin de Kock, who's my guest in People of Note tonight. He's in financial services, but he also has a great interest in silence. And in fact, he's just written a thesis on silence, which we'll come to in due course. We were talking there about silence, and I, I know that some um, meditative people can walk to be silent, and one of their meditations is listening to their footsteps, just the regular uh, movement of feet on gravel, let's say. In fact, sometimes they have gravel paths especially so that it does make a particular sound. It's a, probably some Zen 
uh, silent meditation form. Uh, and, for example, um, I've just watched an amazing movie called My Octopus Teacher. I don't know whether you've seen this movie. It's about uh, a chap who uh, is a diver, and he sort of communicates with an octopus. But, of course, it's in silence because it's underwater. Mm. I mean, there are sounds underwater, but essentially it's a silent communication, and it's an extraordinary movie, and I would encourage our listeners to watch it. It's called My Octopus Teacher, and if you Google it, you will find it. And it's a chap who lives in Cape Town. He made this beautiful movie about it. And I'm sure there are many different ways of uh, meditation, if you like. Um, my family always like to tease me because I find washing up quite therapeutic after a meal. Meals are normally quite noisy times with people talking and laughing and, you know, being a family. Um, and then I quite enjoy doing the washing up afterwards because it gives me a, a moment to sort of regather and recapture myself. And I just and there's a pile of washing and you slowly work through it. It's a in a way it's a sort of meditation mm -hmm. for me. And I'm sure there are many different kinds of meditation. Oh, absolutely! I discovered a variety of practices of silence, which was really fascinating. These practices include meditation, listening to music, prayer silent sitting, even bathing. Um, and I compiled a table of all the methods used by conscious leaders, which you mentioned was part of my thesis. And I found that apart from regularly seeking solitude, which they all did, the second most mentioned silent activity was listening to music. Aldous Huxley apparently said, apart from silence, that which comes closest in expressing the inexpressible is music. And one of the interesting things about music is that music has a lot of rests. I mean, music is the contrast, really, between sound and silence. So silence in music is a very important part of the makeup of music. And, I mean, we have things in music called rests to provide silence. And sometimes there are what we call silent bars. There's a fermata written which uh, provides a moment of silence and stillness in the music. And I'm not sure if there is one in your next choice of music, which is the Lohengrin Overture, because Wagner's music can be quite hectic at times. Um, long melodies. Let's listen to it. This is Simon Rattle conducting the Berlin Philharmonic. That was Sir Simon Rattle conducting the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, playing the prelude to Lohengrin by Wagner, the choice of Gavin de Kock, who's my guest in People of Note. In all of this, Gavin, what, I mean, you're a, you come from a farming community originally, you went to the music school in Pretoria, you went into law and financial services. What made you want to do a thesis on silence? There must have been something that prompted you to do this. What was it? Richard, I started to realize the enormous challenges facing humanity because of global warming. This happened after I watched Al Gore's award-winning documentary An Inconvenient Truth and its sequel, and then watching Leonardo DiCaprio's documentary The Eleventh Hour. There are other documentaries by David Attenborough focusing on the beauty and fragility of Earth too. 
So the second element of the thesis title, uh, which is Conscious Leadership, I was actually literally moved by a quote by Gandhi. He said, live the change you want to see in the world. I realized the devastating effect that livestock farming has on nature and the enormous suffering caused. I then became a vegetarian in 2007 and started to wonder how leadership can be improved to live and lead towards challenges we all seek in the world. I had a hunch that there may be a link between the practice of silence and conscious leadership. I submitted a research proposal at the University of Johannesburg to investigate and research this link by way of case studies of past and present, present conscious leaders. My research proposal was accepted and unbeknown to me at the time, I embarked on an amazing journey of discovery and growth. Where did this journey take you? I mean, it's obviously a journey, uh, a journey of discovery, but it was also a physical journey to interview various people. Where, where have you been to do that? Um, it was really a wonderful journey. I traveled to India and I interviewed people in Kolkata and in Dharamsala. I uh, saw the Dalai Lama and in London I had interviews in um, Oxford and in London, uh, sorry, in the UK and then in Johannesburg and Cape Town. So you've spoken to some very interesting people in regard to this. And I'm, I'm, if we take, let's say, the Dalai Lama, did you actually speak to him himself? I did speak to him uh, for a very short period. Yeah. I mean, there was such a long lineup of people hoping to shake his hand and have pictures taken with him. But indeed, it was wonderful and uh, quite an overwhelming experience to, to be in his presence, really. Yeah. And have you spoken to people who meditate regularly in silence? Indeed. Or I maybe you do it yourself. I, I, I do. I also do practice silence, but I also listen to a lot of music and I read a lot. They all obviously practices of silence in, on, in some respect. But I selected 14 historic and present conscious leaders representing leadership in broad categories such as business, politics, religion, community and science. And among these 14 leaders, there were four Nobel laureates. So I conducted interviews, as I said to you, um, in various places. And some of the well-known historic conscious leaders included Albert Einstein, Confucius, Nelson Mandela and Mother Teresa, while the present conscious leaders included F.W. de Klerk, Tuli Madonsela and the Dalai Lama. And I was really grateful that you also participated, Richard. <laughs> I'm not sure how I fit into that pantheon of leaders. But, but it's a very interesting subject and one which, you know, I, I have some interest in myself, um, mainly because I have some friends who are thinkers and they uh, practice silence and prayer. And uh, one of them actually lives on a, a farm in the Karoo and runs a Buddhist retreat center. And I th one of his things is silence. Uh, and I suspect that uh, many Buddhists and transcendental meditation or just meditation. Um, and I think uh, very often if you allow silence in your life, you'll actually hear messages. Absolutely. Um, something actually quite extraordinary happens when you start spending regular time in silence. Um, one can use the metaphor of climbing a mountain every step or period that you uh, that you are in silence 
brings a slightly higher elevation, which enables one to see just a little bit further. So being able to see further brings enhanced perspective, and this is the growth in consciousness that happens. It enables a person to take better decisions based on more information. So being able to see further as you progress up the mountain enhances awareness. It increases consciousness. One can also use the metaphor of having unused software embedded in, our, in ourselves, which is activated through the practice of silence. This newly discovered software brings perspective of a bigger picture and better decision-making follows based on understanding and compassion. Let's listen to your next choice of music, which was uh, an interesting one. It's the famous Miserere by a composer called Allegri. And there's a lovely story attached to this. It was, it was not allowed to be performed anywhere other than in the Sistine Chapel. And uh, Leopold Mozart took his son, Wolfgang, to listen to this piece. It's, it's a fairly repetitive piece. And by the end of it, Wolfgang could write the whole thing down by memory. Obviously, he had perfect pitch, but he wrote the whole thing down from memory once he had finished uh, listening to it. Let's listen to it, and then we can talk a bit about that. This is the Miserere by Allegri. That was the famous Allegri Miserere, recorded there by the Sistine Chapel Choir. It's the choice of Gavin de Kock, who's my guest in People of Note. And that is Psalm 51, uh, which is a psalm for Holy Week. And I, in many ways, the chanting of psalms, if you uh, listen to old Gregorian chant recordings, in many ways, I think the psalms were used by the monks as meditation, and monks were well known in certain orders for long periods of silence. In fact, some monastic orders have silence as one of their key features. Um, and... You know, in those days of when there were lots of monasteries around, uh, I think a lot of their time was spent in meditation and prayer for the world. They sort of took themselves out of the world in a way and into a world of silence. Is that true, do you think? Um, absolutely. Um, there are professional meditators today in the East um, who do that full time. And um, they intervene for big causes in the world. And uh, some research actually shows that it does make a difference. You know, um, the transcendental meditation, meditation technique actually changes whole societies um, and benefits a whole society if there are a number of people uh, meditating. You know, I was uh, a member of a cathedral choir in England for seven years, and we used to sing Evensong every day, and people came to it, um, and sometimes people didn't come to it. On a cold winter's afternoon when it was wet and rainy outside, sometimes we'd be singing for two or three people. However, we were part of a sort of tradition going back a thousand years of uh, praying on behalf of the world, if you like. And I think that a lot of um, religions emphasize that part of prayer, that we're praying on behalf of all those who are not praying 
in a way, and mm. and uh, interceding on behalf of the whole of mankind. I mean, it sounds like a grand idea, but I think it's true. I, I cannot agree more, and that's why it was important for me to try and find a link between the practice of silence and leadership. And it was interesting to discover that there indeed does appear to be a very strong link between people that regularly practice silence and become more compassionate. So a way to understand that is that their circle of compassion starts to increase. So from typically being egocentric, one becomes ethnocentric, the next development is to become world-centric and then cosmocentric. Um, and this expansion of one circle of compassion, I think is very important in the world we live in today. Because as we all know, the trajectory of our current ways of living is just not sustainable. Global warming is perhaps the best um, example of how unsustainably we are living. We have to start living differently. And conscious leaders um, intuitively uh, realize that. They understand that and they live accordingly. Your next choice of music is by Franz Schubert. And it's the famous Shepherd on the Rock. And in a moment, we're going to talk about shepherds um, and older civilizations. This is Kathleen Battle. She's accompanied by James Levine. Actually, it's people... Uh, appearing in roles which they're not accustomed to. You don't often hear James Levine playing the piano. The clarinetist is Carl Lester, and it's Shepherd on the Rock. That was the wonderful Shepherd on the Rock by Franz Schubert. It was sung by Kathleen Battle, accompanied by James Levine, and the clarinetist was Carl Lester. It's the choice of Gavin de Kock, who's my guest in People of Note, and we're discussing the interesting subject of silence in this busy world of ours. And you're listening to Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock, and this program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8, except that this is the, the last of uh, the people of note that I will be doing here on Classic 1027. We talk here about shepherds, and I'm quite interested if you go back to uh, perhaps more what we think of as primitive societies. They're not necessarily... And I think of the, the San people who uh, lived in Africa and southern Africa long before anyone else. And they have a form of meditation, also the trance dance, if you like. And they definitely felt more part of the whole cosmos, I think, particularly through those trance dances. And... Uh, they were very much connected to the earth. You talked about um, things that are not sustainable. Mm. The sand people really were sustaining people. They didn't take all the fruits of the earth. They didn't take all the animals. They moved on. They were nomads. Just talk us through that a moment because I think it's a really interesting concept that they were the first conservationists in many ways. I think there's a lot to learn from um, uh, some of our fellow humans that are still living on Earth. Um, you know, we are, as humanity, we're just consuming to such a large degree and so much and causing so much waste 
that um, some scientists have even said we need two more Earths just to house all our waste that we're generating. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think there's so much that we can learn. And we shouldn't be waiting for legislation to be implemented. Um, uh, coming back to the concept of being a conscious person or a conscious leader, that leadership should start with ourselves. Once you understand um, that concept um, and you have the insight, it will just follow automatically and you'll just live that way automatically. And you're talking here about things that we can do easily within this world that we live in. I mean, you're, you're, you talk about recycling and renewing and all that. That's all part of it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think apart from minimizing one's consumption, um, we should aim to recycle uh, what we can. Uh, at our home, for instance, we have separate bins for plastic, glass, paper and tins. And we also have an earthworm farm for organic waste. And any organic waste which the earthworms don't eat, like citrus, dairy, onions and garlic, we place in activating composting buckets, which eventually get emptied into a compost heap and worked into the garden. And just by doing this, we find that hardly any of our waste goes towards landfills. I'm still trying to convince my family members to allow me to install clean, hygienic compost toilets. Just imagine, Richard, if humanity can transition to compost toilets, the huge saving of drinkable water and the reduction of pollution to our rivers and dams. So your home is a good example to all of us. <laughs> well, we're trying and we're doing a small <laughs> bit. But I think of what Gandhi said, you know, live the change you want to see in the world. And I suppose if each one of us just does something small, collectively it becomes an enormous change. Yeah, no, it does. So let's listen to your next choice of music, which is one of my personal favorites, which is the Bach Double Violin Concerto in D minor. This is the second movement from it, which is a sort of meditation on its own. It's a, a beautiful slow movement, a lago, with the two voices uh, weaving in and out of each other. And it's almost like a love song in music. It's from the Double Violin Concerto. It's played by a group called Voices of Music. That was music by Johann Sebastian Bach, the famous, famous Largo from the Double Violin Concerto in D minor, one of my personal favorites, and we played it recently in a concert in Pretoria at the Atterbury Theatre with the Phoenix Co-Orchestra. Uh, and one of the interesting things about uh, the pandemic that we've still in the midst of is that it has silenced a lot of music, live music. And I think that society is poorer for this. I don't know whether you have views on that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's an energy transfer in a live concert, uh, irrespective of the quality of the music. Uh, you just cannot substitute the live transfer of that wonderful, what shall we call it, uh, emotional energy that you actually can feel in a live concert. Um, I recently watched Daniel Barenboim in an interview, and he was asked by somebody, uh, what does he think about performing in these empty concert halls because they are all um, broadcast? And he had to think about it for a while, and then he answered, and he said, it's like looking at a picture of your beloved and not having her with you. 
Um, and I think that's really a very apt description yeah. of the loss of not having live music. And also you talked about um, the energy. And I think what we do with music and with many of the things that we do is to tap into energy fields. And I think the, the sand people with their trance dancing, I believe we're tapping into some mm. cosmic energy. And in many ways, perhaps meditation is just that. Mm. It's allowing your body to refill itself with energy instead of just concentrating on the noise around mm. you. I'm, I'm actually very conscious also at times of being able to shut out noise, even when you're mm. surrounded by noise. Um, my family often asks me why, you know, sometimes there's noise all around me, but I can do something else while the noise is going on because you can learn to shut off noise, I think. Absolutely. Uh, Richard, but you shared something quite valuable with me during our interview uh, with my research. You spoke about one of your practices, which were exactly on this point, um, mingling with an audience prior to a concert and you picked up the vibe which assisted you in your conducting for that particular audience. Won't you tell us yeah, about that? Actually, I do. I enjoy doing that. So uh, very often w before a concert without uh, any concert clothes, well, I might have some clothes on, but I usually mm. put a jacket over the top. So I just wander around the audience, literally picking up the vibe, occasionally chatting to people, but just feeling the energy of the audience. And it's, it's extraordinary. I'm, as Byron Boyne was saying, playing for a, an empty hall and playing for a full hall are two very different things. And there's definitely an energy that comes from an audience. And uh, in a way, a conductor is somewhat like a lightning conductor in that the energy flows from the orchestra through the conductor to the audience and vice versa. There's definitely an energy that comes from people in an audience. And this is something that we have not been able to feel for a year. And it's a great loss for us. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a silent energy. At the end of the concert, it's a noisy energy because you can actually, you get instant feedback on what you've done. Um, and it could be poor applause or it could be very lively applause depending on what sort of concert you've done. Interesting also that as a conductor you stand in the middle uh, like in the eye of a storm or the eye of a hurricane because you are totally silent as you conduct and yet the noise is around you and the other interesting phenomena is that the audience sits in silence which is also a form of meditation and uh, Quite, being quite receptive then to a message which is yeah. coming and, across. And, uh, in fact, it's another interesting point that um, the conductor is, in fact, the only silent member of the orchestra. Everyone else is playing and making sounds. I mean, he may be grunting or whatever <laughs> conductors do. Uh, but, yes, he's, he's a silent performer. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting subject. Let's listen to... Uh, Locus Iste. This is a piece by Anton Bruckner, and his symphonies can be quite noisy, but this, this is one of his choral pieces. He was also an organist, and he played at the cathedral in Linz, I seem to remember. This piece, Locus Iste, is very interesting in that it 
uses the silence of a building. So it has built-in silences. Let's listen to it, and then we can talk a bit about it. That was Locus Iste, and it was performed by a group called Tenebre, conducted by Nigel Short, and it's by Anton Bruckner. Now, what he does in that piece is to leave silent bars because the music would be resonating around the cathedral, and he wanted those resonances to be heard. Mm, Indeed, yes. And there's a very famous silence just towards the end, uh, a huge silence, and and that really brings meaning to this work. And I uh, did a concert once in... Uh, and if listeners ever go to Cape Town, please go to the Zeitz Mocha Museum. It's in the waterfront in Cape Town. It used to be the silos for the maize exports. But maize exports are no more, and the, s- the silos fell into disuse, and they've turned them into a museum. And I played at the opening of that museum, in fact, before it was opened, and I realized that it was like a cathedral inside. So I wanted to do a choral concert, which we did. And I designed this concert around the concept of silences, actually. And it was a very, very special concert. My choir have never forgotten it. And they say it was one of the sort of remarkable moments of their musical life. And, it, and I knew it would be because it was that sort of building. And I think some buildings, many buildings are designed with that very purpose mm-hmm. in mind. Oh, absolutely, and I think uh, without that, we'd, we would be a lot uh, poorer, I think. Um, you know, you spoke about Mozart earlier. He, apparently, he was once complimented on his beautiful music, to which he replied, the beauty lies not in the notes, but in the silences in between. Yeah, and this is very true of our lives, too. And there's, there's an important moment, which you're going to talk about now, Uh, which happened in the First World War, Uh, in all that noise of war, and perhaps noise in that war uh, took its toll on people more than in any other war. I mean, the number of people who uh, were suffering from shell shock and trauma from the noise of the war, I think has probably been more than any other war. But something happened uh, Mm. at Christmas one year. Yeah, the events played off in 1950 on a Christmas Eve during World War I. Um, there was a ceasefire, a period of silence during a silent night. Something quite amazing happened between the warring British, French and German soldiers. And I think this is an excellent example of the power of silence. Um, and it's also well worth watching this short clip on YouTube. It's called Christmas 1915. There are famous stories about this where the soldiers just decided somehow between them that they were going to be silent. And they, uh, some of them started singing Silent Night. And then they walked out of the trenches, met in between, celebrated Christmas by singing Silent Night, and then the next day went back to fighting. It's the most extraordinary moment and I think something that we could all learn something from. We're going to hear a a piece called Christmas 1915. It's performed by Celtic Thunder. That was Celtic Thunder performing Christmas 1915. 
It's the choice of Gavin de Kock, who is my guest in People of Note, and uh, he wrote a thesis. Or is, is it finished now, Gavin? Yes, uh, I submitted it last year in 2020, and I'm grateful that uh, it was accepted and I passed, yes. So what did that bring you a degree of some sort? Yes, it was a, a doctorate degree um, in leadership, in personal and professional leadership. And have you been able to put this to practical use? I mean, have in your own uh, business environment, do people consciously practice silence or is it something that they have to be taught to do? Um, that's a very good question, Richard. Um, I think it's an awareness that has to start happening, um, that there's value in the practice of silence. And there's countless amazing research and published peer-reviewed articles on the benefits of the practice of silence, you know, in the fields of psychology, physiology, sociology, and uh, ecology. Uh, there are numerous benefits that flow from the practice of silence. So it's a message that needs to be spread. Uh, you have to convince people of it. Um, as we discussed earlier, what can be easier than sitting in silence and doing nothing? Um, but yet it turns out to be quite difficult because we are somehow programmed to be busy um, and to be doing something all the time, um, which is sadly not really true. Yeah. I wonder if during this lockdown period, some people have found time to be quiet. I certainly have. And I, you know, sometimes I just I sit out because normally on weekends I'm somewhere in the country doing concerts, but not for the last 15 months. And it's been wonderful sometimes just to sit in the warm sunshine, just quietly thinking and enjoying the quiet. So, you know, that's a famous saying that we are not human doings. We are actually human beings. I think rings true. Uh, there are times that we could really just be. And I think just in, in that process, something profound can happen. There are these sort of aha moments. Um, yeah, and, and that's really important. And, um, and learning to share the love that one can generate by mm. these silent moments. I think perhaps love is an important part of life that we've forgotten about. Well, that's something I also discovered, which was quite interesting. Um, you know, the process of growing in consciousness can be um, seen as going up a mountain. Every step of the way takes you higher up. You see a little bit more. And if we are to believe those rare individuals um, throughout the ages who have managed to reach the top of the mountain, you know, the enlightened ones, um, they actually coherently say the same thing. And everything is ultimately about love. Your next choice of music is uh, Juan Diego Flores singing music by Thomas Mendes. It's Cucurucucu Paloma and... Let's listen to that now and also listen to uh, the silence in it, the, the effect of silences within the piece. Here it comes. That was Juan Diego Flores uh, singing music by Thomas Mendes. And he's accompanying himself, I think, on the guitar. Yes, indeed. In that performance. This was an encore that he um, performed. Yeah. And 
perhaps another interesting feature of silence is one of our greatest composers, Beethoven, because I noticed your next choice is Beethoven. And here was a man who suffered from silence, if you like, because of his deafness. This was a different type of silence. Um, indeed, uh, but who knows? It actually might have been a blessing because the antithesis of silence is noise. And by not you know, being able to hear, as sad as it might be, he was actually shielded from a lot of noise. So who knows, it might have actually been to his benefit. And one can imagine him sitting at his piano desperately trying to get sound out of the piano because he couldn't hear it anymore. And you see the sometimes pictures drawn of him with mm. the piano broken, actually, because he couldn't hear it. So he would hit it louder and louder mm -hmm. trying to hear it. It must have been a terrible affliction uh, for a man like Beethoven and actually for anyone, but perhaps I can't say particularly for a musician because their whole business is about sound, but for anyone it's a, it's a difficult affliction. And you can see people who are somewhat deaf struggling with that particular aspect of their lives. Let's listen to the first movement of the, of the Moonlight Sonata. That was the first movement of the famous Moonlight Sonata. It wasn't called Moonlight by Beethoven, but it was the Moonlight Sonata. Daniel Barenboim was playing, and it's the choice of Gavin de Kock, who's my guest in People of Note, and he's talking, or we are talking, about silence and its part in our life. And I'm... I, I, yeah. If I may yes. uh, just say something about Dan Daniel Barenboim, yeah. I really admire him not only for his genius as a pianist and a conductor, but for his outstanding leadership. Um, you may know that he co-founded a youth orchestra in the Middle East in 1999 to promote coexistence and intercultural dialogue called the West Eastern Divan Orchestra. And this orchestra has become a world-class orchestra and is made up of young Israeli and Arab musicians playing together from the same music school, creating sublime music, while often their families would be fighting each other in bloody battles. Um, I think Daniel Barenboim really sees the bigger picture. He is a conscious leader. Without doubt. And in fact, you know, bearing in mind what happened in Gaza just a couple of weeks ago and Israel, um, perhaps this is time for more leadership. In fact, it is definitely time for more leadership. And also this, this pandemic, I think, has challenged leaders all over the world. Um, and voices of people have been silenced during this time because there are plenty of protests now uh, because people feel they've been left out of the whole process of sorting out the pandemic. And they felt they've been left behind, which is very sad. Now, we're coming towards the end of the program, and I just, there's, in your notes, you've made some really interesting comments about silence and noise, um, and their resonance is an important word that you use, uh, which has got to do with sound and silence, and you've come up with a whole lot of um, R words. Just, just talk us through those. Yeah, so uh, I came across a list of words that all start with R, which really resonated with me for guidance towards conscious living, really, uh, compassionate and conscious living. So um, these words, which um, I really try and follow in my life, the first is refusing. 
what you do not need, reducing what you do need, reusing what you consume, recycle what you cannot refuse, reduce or reuse, and rotting, composting the rest or processing it through an earthworm farm. So, you know, this reminds me of something that uh, USA President Joe Biden apparently said. He said to somebody, don't tell me what you value, show me your budget and I will tell you what you value. I suppose you could also say, show me your waste and I will tell you what you value. So these R words may be expanded to include repair, what you can, repurpose, to prevent wastage and provide for one's own or another's need, resist, unnecessary wastage and consumption, revolt against wasteful living, restore, damage done especially to nature, rehabilitate, return nature to its former, former condition, rewild, create and respect wild natural areas, and then the last R word is regenerate, which is farming by not tilling or plowing whilst avoiding all chemicals and pesticides. So there we are, some wise words from Gavin de Kock. Uh, as we come to his final choice of music here on People of Note this evening, which is by Marla. And I think it really sums up what we've been talking about. It's from the symphony number three. It's the final movement. And it really talks about love. Uh, and and I think at the at the heart of all this conversation we've been having is about love, love of one another, love of the earth, love of people, love of music, love of silence. So let's just talk a bit about uh, what love tells me, which is what this last piece of music is all about. Absolutely. I, I think uh, this is quite a long work, but it's captivating and one can actually hear through really poignant melodies um, what love tells me. And finally, if people want to read your thesis, where can they go to do that? Um, I, it's available on um, Google. I think if you just um, uh, Google the thesis title, which is The Practice of Silence as a Journey Towards Conscious Leadership, um, it, it would appear. So there you are, The Practice of Silence as a Journey Toward Conscious Leadership. And that's written by Gavin de Kock, who's been my guest in People of Note. And I just want to thank you, Gavin, for coming in to talk to us. Uh, this is the final version of People of Note. So uh, thank you to all our listeners who've been listening over many years to this program. And who knows, we may find something some other means of doing this online or wherever we can do it. But thank you for listening. We're going to play out with Mahler's Symphony Number no. 3, the final movement. It's played by the Concertgebouw Orchestra with Maris Janssens. And I just want to thank you all for listening. Thank you to Gavin de Kock for coming in to talk to me on this final People of Note. And I can't say until next time, but until next time we meet from me, Richard Cock, and from all of us here at Classic 1027, I say a very good night. Thank you, Richard. It was such a pleasure speaking to you, and thank you for so many hours of enriching our lives with uh, music expressing the inexpressible.